You're listening to the voice of Howard Stern. Hello, you rotten little bloodsucker. This is Alice Cooper. Hey, this is Justin from NSYNC. This is Rodney Dangerfield. Uh, hey, baby. Publishers look gay. Oh. Hi, this is Jack. Just back up from the border for a short visit. You know what I'm talking about, pal? Hi there and welcome to another edition of The Horse's Mouth. You're in The Horse's Mouth and my name is John Teague. Well, wherever you are in the wide world, thank you so much for lending me your ears and the brain that lies between them. Um, Yesterday, I had the great fortune of speaking with Silas Hickey. Now, Silas has been back in Australia for about a week and I reached out to him and we'd been kind of conversing through COVID and I said, look, next time you're back in Australia, I would love if you'd come and have a chat to me. And Silas was back on a short trip and he made the effort and I'm so stoked and so thank you very much for coming down and having a yak to me, Silas. A um, little bit about Silas. Silas at the moment has a um, production company, if you will, in Tokyo, which is called Custom Nuts, and they specialize in animation. Um, Silas used to work down uh, from on the coast, was a really, really good surfer, and worked for Rip Curl um, before he went off to art school in america and i you know when i i've heard about silas and i think we might have met way back because uh, when he rocked up he was so familiar but um it was more the stories that i've always heard over the years about silas hickey and silas's antics is uh and i, I love i love you know people who are a little bit out there you know and, and you could say that 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 is uh the impression that i had about silas uh in my mind's eye and then to know that he was in working in anime and animation in in japan i was like wow that is just like i just love people who have been following their heart and passion and throwing caution to the wind and just going on that ride so silas thanks so much for coming over i really appreciate it um I hope you enjoy our chat. Um, now, I'm just going to throw this out. I'm, I'm trying to put a little bit more structure into the horse's mouth and I'm trying to, to upload fortnightly instead of just like getting an interview and just throwing out an interview. It's not even an interview. It's not a fucking interview. But just getting uh, having a conversation and then just being so excited about it, I want to put it up. And so I'm trying to like um, create some kind of structure to it, which is very unlike me. But um, there you go. If you're wondering and you're probably not do with that what you will so um now the court case that i waffled on about a little while ago is looming and by the time this comes out it'll be getting really close and i'm starting to sweat on a little bit um for those that don't know you know you say the court case well I, i i was pulled over speeding and i wasn't speeding i was doing 103 in 100 so technically yes by 3k's i was speeding but the officer said i was doing 109 and when i asked to see the gun he wouldn't show me not his pistol the gun the radar gun and <laughs> and so i said well i'll see you in court because i know in my heart of hearts i wasn't doing i was doing 100 i was looking at speed i was 100 which is 103 and so he made an example of me and and now i'm saying as a court you know it's all cool to be bro you know you feel like in the moment yeah i'm going to court with this motherfucker but um now the court date's looming and i'm starting to get a little like uh maybe i should just write to the court and say guilty and just walk away and forget about it rather than get on that cop's radar and you know 
<sighs> so by the time this comes out, it'll be getting close. Anyway, um, I hope you enjoy my chats. <laughs> I don't know why I'm telling you that, but it's, uh, it is weighing on the back of my mind. Um, I hope you enjoy my chat with Silas. Silas, thank you so much for coming and making the effort. Really appreciate it. And I'll see you on the other side. Okay. Wow. Adios. Wait till you hear two hours of crap. A complete and total farfarama. I think but being in Japan, yeah, it's not linear food, is it? It's no, not linear meals. Like breakfast no, isn't eggs and sourdough, is it? No, I'm, no, I'm glad you asked that question because someone asked me that the other day. And breakfast in Japan, like if you're talking about the traditional Japanese breakfast, it's like fish and rice and some sort of pickles and stuff like that. It's not a toasted cheese and tomato sandwich. <laughs> That's what I'd be craving, you know, yeah. or a couple of poached eggs. Yeah. But I'll have that Japanese breakfast at dinner. <laughs> yes. Right? Yeah. Yeah. So, no. Ja- yeah. It's, yeah. Japan. So, but coffee goes with that breakfast? It does for me. Well, no, about, it's like no. tea. No, not for the Japanese. It's like tea. It's like ocha and stuff like that, you know? So, yeah. So, it's kind of like. I don't spring out of bed to eat that. I mean, I love Japanese food, but it's like I'm I'm roaming the streets looking for a cheese toasty or something a bit more along the lines of sourdough, poached eggs, and 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 you know smashed avocado or something. And the good news is that you know a couple of people have moved from Melbourne to Japan and they're doing exactly that. Oh, so, so you can get it. You got to get up in the morning and then you got to find someone from Melbourne in Tokyo to have a really good breakfast. Yeah. So is this, is, is this a comparison? Is this like people in New York selling lamingtons yeah. and pies? That's right. Yeah. yeah it's okay. starting to happen in Tokyo for better or worse. Yeah. How long have you been in Tokyo? Well, that's a good question because I, God, the first time I went there was with Rip Curl in like 1987. Yeah, that's the first time I ever went there and I, and I was just, I just loved it so much that I knew that I would go back and, and live there at some point because everything, it's kind of like, it's kind of like, it's kind of like a confluence of everything I really love. It's got amazing animation it's got amazing graphic design blah 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 but just to answer your question a bit more directly here the the i've been there for i've been in japan for three years this trip but i was there for about 10 years before uh with about eight years in hong kong so i was based in tokyo and then and working for uh, Time Warner for Cartoon Network, which is one of the companies under Time, under Time Warner, the Time Warner umbrella, and developing original animated series and stuff like that. Um, the regional headquarters was in Hong Kong. So kicking and screaming, I was kind of dragged down there because I was occupying a regional role. So not just making Japanese animated shows or, or, or kind of Western Japanese co-productions. I was making um, uh, animated series from everywhere from Australia and New Zealand to um, North Korea, Korea and, and, and Japan in the you know northern area of the APAC region. Um, so, yes, yeah, so to do that, to, to, to occupy that regional role, I had to be based in Hong Kong. Um, and, God, that was, I mean, I was traveling so much, but that, like, that was kind of like an eight-year prison sentence. <laughs> I was just so, I was hanging out to get back to Japan so much that entire time I was there the reason I moved back is because the riots and stuff started happening as yeah so question while you were there were you aware of these tensions tensions and impending like China is going to reclaim (laughs) what it perceived to be its own it was always in the back of your mind but 
No, not. I just didn't think that they would have the kind of audacity to, to, yeah, to 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 just you know, go back on what they'd agreed to with the British, right? Because there's still what thirty years or something left, twenty something years left on that contract before they were, you know, before it was supposed to go back to, to 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 China, right? So so no, I didn't think it was going to. Certainly didn't think it was going to happen as quickly as it did. I mean, there were things that were sort of changing. There was some pretty ominous signs that sort of foreshadowed a, um, a, uh, a sort of premature kind of end of, uh, I mean, it wasn't a democracy anyway, right? So it was, it was one country, two systems, but you know, there was what some, that, what does that mean? It's uh, well, it's a cross between a Chinese system and the system that the British left. Right. Right. Yeah. So, but it wasn't a true democracy. It was still, it was still, uh, there were still elected officials that were approved by the mainland, but you know, but it was kind of like a committee thing that was, it wasn't like a, you know, it wasn't universal suffrage. Right. So it was a, it, did they have sleeper cells in there watching, you know, like going, no, I, Oh yeah, these people are. Yeah. I mean, look, the thing, basically it, what happened was there was, there was some crime, there was some crime that happened and the, one of the people involved was going to be, was going to be tried in mainland China, um, but I think he fled and went back to Taiwan, or, or escaped and went to Taiwan. And so, and so when they tried to, they tried to pass some legislation that meant that they could legally do that. So, so a crime committed in Hong Kong, they could actually, you, you could actually go to trial in mainland China. Everyone was just like, whoa, and rightly so. You know, that's just like God. You know, yeah, 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 yeah. You know, throw away the key kind of situation. So. Um, uh, so yeah, so, so there was protests and riots and I was actually at an animation festival in, in Paris at the time when that went down and I had my family in a hotel because I can't remember why we were in that hotel, but it was like this view down the main drag next to Victoria Park, right? So it's like the, the main street that goes right down through the guts of, of Hong Kong, like the biggest street. There was, my wife was like... On FaceTime, I'll say my wife was like, "You got to see this. It's like the biggest protest ever in Hong Kong history, and it was just insane. Like the, it was just a sea of humanity, right? As far as you could see down this street and spilling out in the park, the biggest kind of assembly of pissed off people in the whole history of Hong Kong, right? So it was huge. And then once that happened, because that's serious legislation you have to sort of live with, and sort of you know, if you, yeah, if you're if you commit a crime, you're gonna you know end up in a gulag somewhere, as opposed to you know a friendly Hong Kong sort of lockup. Because the cops in Hong Kong were pretty cool, you know. I mean, yeah, I never. I did some pretty naughty things, but never got in a... They were pretty reasonable, right? Yeah. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I don't that believe that, like, Silas. That's like the beginning of the end, though. Imagine that, though. Like, if it was now, I'd probably be in a gulag, right? We'd be doing this podcast from sort of, like, yeah. <laughs> somewhere else. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, that was just the beginning of the end. And then Molotov cocktails and stuff started to happen. And I was just like, let's go back to Japan. This is, you know, I got... So, it got frightening. It got frightening and I didn't want my kids having to sort of learn the national anthem, uh, you know, the Chinese national anthem. I don't mind if they learn the Chinese national anthem, but not being, you know, they were actually, cha- they've changed curriculum in, in schools and stuff to, you know, to be in line with 
the communist party and stuff and yeah it's whatever it's just that wasn't the way i wanted my kids to grow up and there was an opportunity to move back to japan and i always wanted to anyway so so yeah been back there for three years and i really feel for my friends that i left behind in hong kong i've got some really good friends that were born there that that have just watched their country basically be taken over prematurely by this, you know, Winnie the Pooh from mainland China. That's what, what? they're saying. What they, the banned fuck? Winnie, they banned Winnie the Pooh there because he oh, looks like oh, Xi Jinping, right? God, hope I'm going to still be allowed to go to China after this podcast. Like strangers go fiction. to Beijing. No, you're, you'll be, you're on the list now. Totally, <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah. You call me Winnie the Pooh? <laughs> yeah, right? No, well, that has, that has been, uh, that has actually, Winnie the Pooh is like those memes and stuff. Of, you can't do that anymore. Yeah. The world is fucking a strange place. Like, are you following, obviously, every, hey, can you not? You're following Ukraine? Yeah. Because that's... Yeah. Yeah, that's over the top. It's um, a tipping point right now. Yeah. I'm sorry to digress, but it's sort of... Yeah, no, uh, I mean, it's an interest... Yeah. I watched NATO speak this morning, and yeah. they were talking, you know, that shit uh, narrative of weapons of mass destruction. Yeah kind of vibe yeah and you go if they're talking about that yeah but I mean Colin Powell talked about that in his PowerPoint presentation at the UN and there was nothing there <laughs> they got that no, that's what I mean they use it as an excuse oh I see what you're saying right yeah um, and that's what worries me because that they go in under the guise we know they fucking lie yeah but I mean this, I think this is quite different because we know that you know Russia has nukes the US has nukes so <laughs> yeah. it's not like def- they're definitely there this time there's no question but when people are like oh you know it's, it's, it's crazy times we're living in and stuff I don't, I, I don't know whether it is crazier than first world war second world war I mean we've never lived through anything like that yeah, right or Genghis Khan yeah or Genghis Khan or any of those things I mean this sort of in a way yeah COVID um, uh, you know Putin's gone off the reservation or gone mad or whatever and you've got this crazy sort of potentially really volatile situation uh, well it is volatile but potentially yeah uh, serious <laughs> situation going on but is it as bad as previous previous situations or moments in history I'd, uh, it's not right now it feels kind of sissy pants if you're comparing it to the to, to the second world war or oh, know, yeah. stuff like that but there's, that said you know this could be Putin's Vietnam couldn't it I mean that just think that thing is going to end up as some kind of really fucked up quagmire that's going to this again potentially that's no you don't, we don't know could, no one knows it's all speculation no. but it's there is a it's a melting pot uh-huh. of, of, of possibilities it is yeah it's uh, yeah, potentially. Yeah, uh, with yes, yeah, pretty spec. Yeah, it's really, really messed up and very, very sad. What's what's uh, what's happening there at the moment? But um, well, it's hard because you hear it. Like I, I uh, you know, freaked out on YouTube's this morning, yeah. and then you go outside for a cup of coffee and some you eat, and this is birds and sunshine, right? Yeah, and yeah, yeah. Like- this is like I mean, Torquay is like one giant kind of televised reality for me you know it's it's pretty I was just down the street and it was just amazing it was the most life affirming morning I've had in quite a long time sitting there with my mum before she goes to Rodney's to get a haircut <laughs> no it was amazing I was thinking like what I mean then the, the ocean looks so inviting and it's like no exactly this is just it's hard to imagine 
it's hard to imagine uh, being shot at in the Ukraine when you walk down the street and have a latte in the Esplanade and talk. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, look, same with where I live in Japan. It's just, you know, it's it's it really is uh, a really fantastic place where I live and it's brilliant and super sort of chilled out and relaxed. But, yeah, you go and turn on the TV or, as you say, look at YouTube or whatever, and it's... it's um, there's some pretty nasty, dangerous stuff going on. Uh, yeah. All right. Changing gears. So now, tell yeah. me. At school, yeah, were you you were creatively driven, obviously. Yeah. And were you a- uh, academically driven as well, or did you struggle yeah. with that aspect of your life? Uh, I did in the beginning, definitely. So uh, we travelled a lot when I was a kid. My dad's an artist. Uh, he's a painter, and. He was he was uh, the recipient of a lot of uh, grants from the Australian Arts Council, which allowed back in the day they used to send uh, well-established, recognised artists to um, to these uh, residencies in 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 uh, a variety of interesting countries. So we got the we got the Paris residency for about a year. So I went to I went to school there and got into a lot of trouble. Hold uh, on, well, how old were you? I was nine years old at the time. Yeah. <laughs> you got in a lot of trouble. A lot of trouble there. Yeah, it was like an international school. And my dad was in like the artist residency sort of place and stuff. And I was just drawing comic books in my textbooks, basically. And, and the the uh, the teacher didn't like that at all. That was like a Dickensian what, what kind you, of... What were you drawing? Dick Tracy, actually. I was really into... It, well, I was really into to crime, action, sort of uh, adventure sort of stuff. Similar to the pictures you've got on the wall here. You know in Superbad when the comic book gets found and yeah. it's just pictures of just dicks yeah yeah, yeah. Oh, I was the hero oh, that's what you were doing no yeah pretty much I thought that's what you were going to say no no, no that came later no I was, I was it was all about escapism and stuff for me because I really loved Tintin I really loved uh, France was amazing for me as a kid because in fact that's where I got a lot of my interest in comic books and animation because there was these I had a set of roller skates right and I would uh, when I wasn't at school, uh, getting beaten up by the teacher, she used to give me the strap all the time. I'd be roller skating from comic book shop to comic book shop uh, and just, yeah, the most incredible comic book culture there, a lot like Japan, as we were talking about before. Um, and we can talk about that again um, later if you want to. But, uh, yeah, school, school kind of... I mean, I, I loved going to school and drawing comic books and I... Was, loved the school for that but that love wasn't reciprocated at all <laughs> not even later <laughs> no 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 i just no nah, it didn't work for me i went to lawn high for a while and um i don't want to say too much about that actually but i didn't that didn't work out well for me either because i wasn't ready i wasn't ready for a, 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 a Structure. A, a full-on academic kind of thing and structure, yeah, that, at that time. I, I would occasionally focus on, on a project and really do it really well and get an amazing grade for it or something. But the rest of the time, I just want to go surfing. You know, I didn't want to be stuck in a classroom, especially if Lawn Point was pumping. It'd be like fucking torture sitting in a classroom looking out the window at these perfect waves and only a couple of people out, right? That's when I was drawing surfing in, in the margins of my textbooks you know yeah, pictures yeah. of like perfect tubes and stuff like that like rick griffin was my favorite artist at that at that time um and robert crumb but uh yeah so so 
I didn't get that out of my system, the surfing thing. It was when it's still in my system, but I didn't know that I wanted to, to, I didn't really know that I wanted to study and go to school and do all of that until I was in my 20s. And then I went back to art school uh, in the US and I really enjoyed it and I really got stuck into it and I did really well. Um, was and- this before working at Ripco? No, it was after. Okay. That was after. So when I was at Rip Curl, I didn't have... So you left school and went to work for Rip Curl, so I didn't Yeah, no, that's all right. I didn't have any formal training when I went to Rip Curl in terms of art. It's just stuff that I had learned along the way. Uh, I learned a lot from Peter Webb. I learned a lot from Simon Bartonshaw, and I learned a lot from my own dad. Uh, a lot from my dad, obviously, because, yeah, he would often uh, give me tips on, you know... On, on how to uh, like with perspective and stuff like that and, and you know there's the methods and techniques and stuff like that my dad really helped me out a lot but uh, I didn't go to yeah when I was at Ripco I, it was all I was self-taught and friends and stuff like that yeah taught me how to draw and paint and stuff yeah and so then um, now I find this is like because I you know everyone tells me that you know, it's been a long time since you've been here. Yeah. Everyone says how good a surfer you were. Oh yeah, yeah, and that was amazing. <laughs> <laughs> that was a shred lord, yes. Yeah. But I was no. one of the few goofy footers actually that that really loved surfing Winky Pop at the time. I mean, I yeah, and lawn yeah, I was because it's all right hand points and stuff here, right? Yeah, yeah. so yeah, I used, yeah. Uh, so then I find what I find is like you know, and and on my own, like it's mm-hmm. like. You man, you've obviously. Do you surf in Japan? Yeah. Oh, fucking great. Okay. Because yeah. I was like, how has this person in my mind's eye gone from being such a great surfer yeah. and then gone to such a kook? No. <laughs> <laughs> but I wasn't sure if you're surfing or not, and I was like, how do you leave that behind? Because it's like every time I, I don't want to leave surfing behind, but if I want to go and do something creatively yeah. away, it's hard to to duly yeah. exist. A lot more people do that now, though, right? There's a lot of people who are incredible surfers and incredible artists, and inc- you know, and doing all kinds of academic kind of stuff now, isn't there? I mean, no, I no, no, totally is. Yeah, but, yeah. I, I, um, but before it was like you'd do that or you'd do that. Yeah, yeah. it's like yeah, like almost. I mean, it's not left brain, right brain, but it's kind of like you do. Yeah, it's like you, you know what I mean. Yeah, yeah. I do. I know. I totally know what you mean. Um, but anyway, I'm so glad to hear that you're still shredding in Japan. <laughs> well, I, I don't surf as much as I should, especially with COVID. We've been really trying to stay away from those because I've got Tokyo number plates, you know, so I don't want to drive down there and get my car windows smashed by some guys that don't. Because, yeah, I try and yeah, yeah, keep, okay. it, keep it within so my boundaries. So it's heavily localized. It is, yeah. It's really, there's some... Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? You, like, it, Japanese people are so friendly, but there is a heavy local thing. Certain beaches in Japan, you don't paddle out unless you're... Yeah, it's almost like... Someone's giving you the nod. Yeah. I went there. I went to a bunch of places with uh, Garrett McNamara and... No way. I've just yeah. been watching the 100 foot away. Right, right, yeah. right. Well, well, yeah, I had this... I did this gig with Mark Newson. He's an industrial designer. Uh, he did the Qantas interiors and stuff for... Um, Qantas. <laughs> they did the Qantas oh, yeah. interiors for Aeroflot. No, for Qantas. And, and yeah, it's he's a really amazing designer. Anyway, he wanted to make a nickel surfboard and we got Dick Brewer to shape it. So we went over and saw Dick Brewer in, in, uh, in his shaping bay in Kauai and he made this board that mark, that became the surrogate shape for, to go into this electroplating 
tank and do you know how that works it's a pretty insane process it's so the same nickel, way as they you make mean like a metal yeah like nickel 100% pure nickel it has to be pure nickel right for, for the process to work it's the same technology as, as, as they use for the leading edge of rotor blades on helicopters and spectrometers for satellites and shit so it sits in this tank so Dick's board sits in this tank and the nickel literally grows around it so it's perfectly distributed on this on this surrogate form which is the shape of the board and then oh, hold on is it still like foam uh, what does this, the nickel the stick board to? Was, yeah, yeah, yeah. You have to put a conductive surface on it for the, the nickel to work. You should get Mark on the show to explain exactly how it works. Um, this is the bare bone basics. Yeah, yeah, yeah. From, okay, yeah. But um, uh, so anyway, we made this nickel surface. It was a tow board. And uh, we took it. There was this massive, massive swell uh, in Japan. Like this is probably twelve years ago or something now. And um, Garrett came over and surfed on this board. And we went. This the way I know that there's really heavy fucking locals in Japan is because a lot of these beaches that we went to, uh, he had to get permission to to get his jet ski out and go and take the board out and ride these waves and stuff. So um, yeah, but there's just that nickel surfboard thing attached to that story, which is fucking insane. Um, um, uh, and he made another version of that, which he surfed, um, uh, you know, in Portugal on. Uh, that was, was a, that was that, that was like the the version 2.0 of the same surfboard project. Yeah, and we took that board to Tahiti uh, and surfed it at uh, Chopes, and um, one of them one of them actually creased, uh, which is pretty would be pretty bloody difficult to do with a nickel surfboard. Uh, and so it was functional. This. Yeah, 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 yeah. And then, then, then it became part of a show in New York at the Gagosian uh, Gallery, which is like one of the leading contemporary art galleries in the world. Uh, and I think the yeah, the starting price, opening price for those things was like a hundred thousand US dollars. You know, so those those things are like. I mean, Mark was trained as a as a jewel. I mean, Mark's stuff is be- it's so beautiful looking. Uh, it's Mark, like it was a, sorry, can we Mark Newson. Mark Newson. Yeah, he 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 was he did it. Yeah, he made a concept car for for, for Ford. He's made some incredible stuff. Uh, but yeah, he was he was originally I think trained as a jeweler. So this thing, yeah, it's oh, just cool. the most beautiful looking thing. It, yeah. yeah. Um, so yeah, that was that. Um, so anyway, yeah. So you've, so um, localism, yeah, went off on a total tangent. There, no, that's cool. What about? Um, I'm going to go on another tangent. Yeah. I was interested on these that this structure underwater off Japan that's got steps in it that yeah. they don't quite know how it's there or what it is. Right. You know about that? No, but is that the is that like the Nankai Trough or something? Is that where they are? Because they're anticipating a massive, massive <laughs> earthquake to happen there in the not-too-distant future. Yeah. I wonder if it's there. No, I don't know about the steps, though. I should Google it for you, but yeah. I won't do it right now. But underwater, it's like a pyramid. It's like carved out, and it's gigantic. Like, yeah. Um, and some people say it's natural and some people saying it's man-made and they don't know but it's like if sea levels have changed over say 100,000 years 50, whatever the fuck yeah. it could have been a civilization that. pre oh wow okay shit I'd love to see that yeah I know absolutely nothing about that yeah it's I'm happy to talk about it though <laughs> So yeah, I know all about it. Yeah, yeah. I yeah. Actually, yeah. <laughs> no, that sounds amazing. Yeah, it is. I'll show. Uh, I'll yeah. write down the under, yeah. underwater. Maybe you can tell me about that. Yeah. Well, I only know it to be just like fucking cool. Yeah, yeah, that sounds amazing. But when did you hear about that? I've seen heaps of like YouTube's on. Really? Yeah, because I'm always watching YouTube's of like ancient cities yeah. and like yeah. water levels. So it's changing. like a Japanese Atlantis or something. Exactly. Wow. Yes. Okay. That sounds pretty cool. Um, I'll show you after. So um, now studying in 
America. Yeah. Jumping back again. Yeah. Yep. You got accepted to a school there, obviously. And yeah. where, where was that? That was uh, Otis Parsons, which is uh, a design uh, a design school. It's like an art school. Yeah. Yeah. And it was incredible. The, the reason I wanted to go to school in the States is because I wanted my... I was I wanted my teachers to have practical experience in the industry. I didn't want to just study under a bunch of people who were professional academics. Um, not that there's anything wrong with that. It was just that's what I wanted because I wanted to study animation and film and it's just changing so fast. And, I, yeah, I prefer to learn off of people who have empirically learned some of their craft mm-hmm. and methods and techniques from within the industry and from industry experience. So the so the lecturers there were just amazing. I mean, it was, yeah, it was right next to Hollywood, you know, so the whole film, film industry is there, the music industry is there. There's a lot of stuff going on, a lot of people that uh, I uh, was in school with are still my friends now. I think some of them even came to Torquay with me over the years. I mean, that was a long time ago now, but it was an amazing education in that place. Yeah, they have a sister school in New York, so I spent some time over there, but I wanted to be in LA so I could go surfing and, yeah. and you know, closer to to the, the coast and closer to all of that stuff because I'd just come from Torquay, you know? Yeah. So I was like... It's like you were saying before, I didn't. I had to sort of reinvent myself after being so into surfing. It's like, what the fuck am I now? You know, am I like a animator or am I a designer? And what does that look like? You know, so I kind of had this. I just had a personality crisis after, and that sort of liminal period in between art school and you know, am I gonna? I mean, I even thought I could be a pretty good amateur at pro am surfer. You know, I thought sometimes when I was surfing winking problems, like yeah, fuck, I'm actually pretty good. You know, <laughs> but then I was thinking like, but I'm not that good. You know, I'm not. And I'd get so nervous in bloody surfing competitions and stuff. I could never, didn't you know? So anyway, it was it was a uh, yeah, it was a uh, pretty stressful kind of time but uh but once i was there it was brilliant question school was brilliant so anime has become your life Mm. and at what point in this journey was Mm. it the trip when you were ripco when when you were like fuck i love this i've loved anime i've loved not just anime but is that that the word anime anime anime? is anime is like uh uh, japanese animation Uh uh mainly television and it's it's mainly animation for tv is what i'd call anime like ghibli's work and those kind of uh uh, miyazaki kind of films he likes to call them manga eager because they're more fluid uh, it's more of a fluid style of animation, which is more like Walt Disney and stuff. But anime is really anime, Japanese animation that is made for TV is the way I'd describe it. So, um, no, what I I got I got really interested in animation, cartoons, and animation uh, from no, from what right back when even before I was surfing, uh, I was making. My, my parents were both teaching in art schools in Melbourne, so my mum would bring home... Um, ah, damn it. Sorry. My mum would bring home... Um, my mum would bring... <clears throat> yeah, let me just start that again so yeah. as you can maybe cut that out. So, yeah, I've been interested in, in animation and, and graphics from, from way back before I started surfing. Uh, my parents were both teachers at art schools in Melbourne, and they'd bring home cameras, Super 8 cameras, video cameras and stuff like that. And I'd make little stop motion uh, movies of with, you know, with Barbie dolls and crazy shit, tomato sauce, train wrecks and stuff. You know, like I'd make stop motion. Is films. that like a flick pad? 
kind I did, of I did those as well. I used to love doing those. Like I'd have guys surfing on waves with flip books, yeah. getting eaten by sharks and stuff. <laughs> like, you know, so you'd have, yeah. you'd have, I just had like a red pen and a black pen and I'd just make these really, really violent kind of sequences of, you know, and, and I was, yeah, my characters were doing like aerials before anybody, you know, <laughs> all this kind of crazy shit. So, no, I was into all of that way before I went to the States, way before I was surfing. Um, and my father introduced me to comic books and, and you know, adult animation like Ralph Barchi uh, stuff. He, he made that film Fritz the Cat um, and Wizards and stuff like that. So, and and I also was, you know, watching uh, probably all the same cartoons as you were as a kid. Like I'd come home from school and I'd watch uh, an hour or two of Daryl Summers' cartoon corner. It was all Hanna-Barbera kind of stuff with a massive bowl of wheat bix, like about 20 wheat bix in a bowl. And I'd just eat that like and just watch cartoons and then then it'd be the goodies and it'd be Doctor Who then it'd be like I Dream of Genie and Get Smart and stuff it's fucking so unhealthy uh, and so unhealthy Monkey but, Magic and yeah, and then all of that, you said before yeah and then all that stuff but that in a way kind of uniquely qualified me for the job that I'm doing now because I just got to know all those shows back to front, inside out, and how they were made and structured and the you know I really had a very very thorough deep understanding of 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 all of those type of TV sitcom -y kind of animated cartoons, yeah. You're the yeah. perfect person to ask this question. And it's off, it's not, it's in the, it's in the pocket. Yeah. There was this sh cartoon that sticks out in my mind. I ask everyone, yeah. not on the podcast, obviously, yeah. but I'm always asking people when yeah. this comes up, <clears throat> old TV mm -hmm. animation. It was a ship in space. And this yeah. ship was like a ship you'd see out here at sea, huge yeah. ship, and yeah. it would go through space. Yeah. And it had all these people that lived on it, and they were uh, using it. That, but it was a ship from Earth. But, Do you remember that? Was it anime though? Y yeah, it was. Cartoon. Well, that was probably Star Blazers, which was the. Was it? Uh, there was one called Captain Harlock. That was. Was it? Was it Japanese anime though? I, I think it was definitely not Western culture. You know, yeah, you can okay. tell. It's got so that. It, was, it was probably. It was either probably either G Force, which was um, Battle of the Planets in Australia, or Gachaman is the Japanese title, or it could have been. Star Blazers was was another one. Uh, it was animated, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Or uh, Captain Harlock. It could have been. Yeah, there was any number of those uh, of those sci-fi. It really stuck in my mind. Yeah, well, I it was an actual. Why. It was an actual boat, though. Was it a yeah. submarine, though, or a no, boat? No, it was a, it was, it was a ship. Yeah, it could. Have, oh, yeah, because there was also one based on that Japanese warship Yamato, but it was a space version. There was this whole. There was this whole. There was what, a space what, version. Yeah. What? Yeah. So, but it, but but there was oh, like a, it was like saying, a yeah. genre. It was like a genre that became kind of space opera which Daft Punk ended up making that uh, music video for one more time you know that yeah, was like a space yeah, opera yeah. thing um, yeah it, it was one of those when was which which decade was it? 80s for sure 80s yeah then that's that's squarely that would have been one of those shows yeah yeah I'll find out exactly which one as I'm going to look at these yeah anyway so this set you up or this time yeah. and space for where you're at today. Yeah, yeah, it did. And, 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 uh, but I've never, you know, I've never stopped thinking about surfing. I've never, uh, stopped being interested in surfing culture and surfing, especially, especially the, the kind of visual culture that surrounds surfing, much more so than skateboarding visual culture, which is completely different. And, and, it's in a way it's a lot more sort of mean spirited and stuff especially it was in the in the in the you know 90s and noughties and stuff but 
the thing I really love about about surfing and the reason that still leaks into what I'm doing in my work today and my contemporary projects and stuff that I've been involved with is because if you compare it to other sports like you know there's no such thing as golf music or tennis music but there's surfing music right there's no such thing as golf graphics or tennis gra- when there is they're just like logos and stuff right it's just boring as it's, just, it's sports stuff well, it's not a subculture no but even but it's, look here's the other thing there's a subculture in terms of rugby but it's just like it's like Canterbury and all this kind of crap sorry I shouldn't tap on the table should I that's no, okay <laughs> it's, it's like with Canterbury and, the, and these sports where there really is a, a culture attached to it like rugby and I'm not into rugby at all but there's no kind of interesting graphic language or visual language that sort of goes with that beyond sponsors logos and maybe like some sort of polo shirty uniformy kind of things but with surfing it's really got it look there's even surfing furniture there's like pretzel chairs and tables there's all that stuff that mickmock collects you know which is incredible he's got an amazing collection that guy uh and I, and I love that. And in fact, there was, a, there was a show that I made a couple of years ago called Monster Beach. We made 48 episodes of this show that was, uh, I think it was broadcast in Australia. I but checked it out. Yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> so, so that's, yeah, that's like Big Daddy Ed, Ed Roth, hot rod car culture from the 60s in, in, uh, in Huntington Beach and in California. There's How's the subculture there when you were studying there? Did you love it? Yeah, yeah, totally. It's I mean, fun, it was, isn't it? Yeah, really, really good fun. And they're really good at it. And there's like, yeah there's amazing examples of all of that stuff there you know i mean there's some terrible examples of 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 surfing graphics and crap there's a you know for every good example there's like a a, a plethora of landfill you know yeah but the good stuff's amazing right i mean really 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 great i mean some you know some of the music is just absolutely nails it i mean a lot of a lot of the people didn't even surf but it got co-opted like dick dale and all that kind of music and yeah. you know the trash man and stuff like that amazing uh, you can ask Neil Campbell about all that sort of stuff he's addicted to a lot of it Cambo worked with him at Rip Curl he was great hooked up with him in Japan actually too not that long ago you know before COVID yeah yeah and so I, I like in just keep me on the American track for a second mm-hmm. you know like you come back here everything's new and shiny yeah. we don't really have any those old buildings but if you go to Southern California or, or yeah. uh, all over the place there's those old buildings that you know have been there since the yeah. 50s and 60s that still have that warmness yeah. to that that's like a bridge to the old yeah yeah, there's some great examples of that in in that kind of stuff in California. There must be in Australia. Uh, I mean, your talkies change so much. I, I feel would like just we knock have... everything down. Yeah, and put so much... I mean, your this this place that you're living in is probably like about to be heritage listed. You know, <laughs> I for like know. the industry. It's awesome. But look, how about these these? Uh, yeah, we're in John's home right now, and there's these cornices. They're cornices, aren't they? The, the, uh, is that what those things are called? They look like the they look like the side of a lemon meringue tart. But they're exactly. just beautiful. But they're beautiful. I love yeah, that. Yeah. You know. Well, That's, but all these places where you know what the you know what the problem is? There's this like modernist sort of middle class nightmare happening down the road here, which is like all these people are thinking that I think they're onto this aesthetic that the the rest of the world's kind of done with because. All that sort of, you know, it rectilinear kind of, it's sort of like, you know, the Bauhaus didn't actually work in the end, you know, because they figured out that decoration actually serves a purpose. There is, it does, you know, it's form following function doesn't look necessarily just like a square concrete or rectangular box. No. Because 
decoration is useful, right? It's useful for a number. Let me give you one example, like a, a carpenter with a hammer, with the most basic hammer where it's just stripped away anything that's not functional in terms of the balance and the way it hits a nail. You could, you could also argue that there, if there was a hammer that has a beautiful decoration on it, where the, I'll tell you another story about this in a minute, but where the, where the decoration on the hammer is going to really psych him up to do his job a bit better because the hammer feel, looks so beautiful. It's like, it's like a spray job on a surfboard. There's no function, but I remember I used to surf or, better or, sometimes or, or, because I'd be like, look at the spray job on this yeah, board. Yeah. It's fucking insane. I look just like Tom Curran because I've got the Tom Curran surfboard. The black rails. Right? You yeah. could argue that that's serving a function, couldn't you? Yeah, psychologically. Even, even though there's psychological function, right? Yeah. Like, right? Well, and all and these Steiner, things obviously... you know Steiner? Yeah, the, the, yeah, yeah. yeah. So he, he, he's also into architecture. Right. I don't think there's yeah, yeah. any straight angles right. on his architecture. Yeah, yeah. But I mean, this is, there's nothing functional at all about the cornice in this room that we're sitting in right now. But, but there is in terms of like feeling good about this space that we're, you know, that we're, that we're, I feel, I feel this is a nice space. Well, I feel I comfortable in here and I wouldn't if it was a cold Bauhaus concrete box, right? It's lived in. It's lived in, but it's also the decor. Yeah, it's lived in and it's like, this is just, it's nice. This is a nice vibe because of these decorative bits and pieces, right? Mm. You know, yeah, your Bauhaus concrete box, it's like, nah, <laughs> nah. That's, and you, look, the best examples of that and the logical extension of that is housing commission flats, you know, that sort of Mies van der Rohe taken to its sort of nth degree and that guy was amazing and everything. Yes, that all had to happen, but... But it's, um, look, anyway, it's like all that shit down there is like a pale imitation of... of Do you freak out now when you drive into town? Yeah, I don't freak out, but I just, yeah, if they they had of... They should have just just employed the service of some better architects, you know, some more interesting architects. But that drives me nuts in Japan as well. You see all these monolithic, stupid-looking things that go up around Tokyo that... They, you know, they, they, architecture is such an arrogant uh, discipline anyway, because there's nothing that can be kind of future proof enough in terms of a design solution for something that's going to be there for the next 50, 60, 100 years or whatever, right? So I've always been like, what is, you know, that's why I don't get tattoos because I can never design anything that's going to last as long as, um, I hope I do. Yeah, I know exactly <laughs> that problem. I love tattoos, but I'm too yeah. frightened that Me I'll too. be like, because like, I get sick gonna... of things. Yeah, I, I, I hate everything I did as soon as I've finished it, you know. I've done. You know, it's too, yeah, really. If you're going to ask me a question about Pusha, that's like, I can't stand that thing. <laughs> Did you see That's that fine. Written? Did you see that written there? I saw it. Yeah, I saw it. But, but, but you know, no, no, I saw someone had a push at a tattoo. So you're like, fucking hell, who's the, who in there? Right, in what corridor of your mind would that be a good idea? Hold on, I'm coming. We're coming back. Yeah. I, I like the architecture thing, and I always go back to the states because I love yeah. California for oh, yeah, how yeah. eclectic and how many influences yeah, yeah, yeah. there are, is on their architecture. There's some incredible examples of of uh, amazing architecture there i mean and you know, charles and ray charles and ray eames uh you've got the gamble then you've got the gamble house in pasadena there's some amazing amazing architecture in pasadena uh there's some amaz- amazing Los Feliz, there's beautiful yeah, 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 all yeah. Over, and there's all so over. different many different influences there is nothing's yeah. t- really that boring uh no there's some amazing examples of I all mean, of my I- favorite periods in in you know mid-century modern uh and you know, of course, Charles and Ray Eames, their place down in Venice Beach, and yeah, it's just yeah, it's great for all of that. California's, I mean, it, it, yeah, 
the problem with California is the problem with Los Angeles is uh, is is Carmageddon, you know. It, oh my god! Yeah, but it used to have a trolley system. Do you know that it used to actually have trams and a, you know, that's look that up on YouTube. It's it's they ripped it all up. Well, I didn't even know it had a train. It did. It did. It had like it's a really still got com- a train. Yeah, but it had a really comprehensive. It had like a tram system yeah, where like you could Melbourne. get around. Yeah, apparently. Yeah, right. You can't imagine it, can you? It's well, all like, what do they do? Was it to do with cars? I think they, so. It yeah. was like an under the table deal when they wanted everyone in cars. I mean, I want to. I want to kind of you know I, I mean I'd love to say that yeah I don't know enough about it but but people have told me that it was the automotive business that that ripped it all up and yeah you know, I heard I, I, yeah I've, I've heard that's what I heard but yeah it's a bit I don't know that's a bit too much of a convenient story I'll yeah I'll let me get back to you on that one <laughs> yeah okay all right I'm write that down. right um so no tattoos no I don't. I don't have no. I don't have uh, any tattoos at all. But yeah, but I, I just don't. I could never come up with a future-proof enough design solution for a tattoo that yeah, I wouldn't have to get sort of lasered off or something. And plus, what's the uh, yeah? No, I just. I, I never, know, never I, thought my I, body was a canvas. <laughs> I love them, but I can't. It's like I yeah, like you just said. I'm just like yeah. It'll yeah. fuck my head. Yeah, me too. <laughs> too, too. Too fragile there. Yeah. So, oh, yeah. I hate that now. What am yeah. I? Who do I think I, I, I am? Yeah, if I was going to get a tattoo, it would be more like maybe my entire face like Spider-Man. <laughs> just, just if I was going to do it, it would be something really, really over the top like that. Yeah. yeah. Imagine that. So yeah. tell me, let's Imagine go. For your LinkedIn profile with a Spider-Man tattoo on your face. <laughs> do you think you'd have the same title? <laughs> you've got it on your LinkedIn yeah, now yeah. friendly neighbor <laughs> yeah. god so what tell me about the poo shooter <clears throat> well that was a drawing that was a drawing that I did uh, in Anthony Coulter's house over in Jan Jack you know is he still around Anthony Coulter yeah he is I think I've seen him on social media I think um, quite possibly yeah he was a nice bloke he um, I, I used to live at his place I had, had he had a spare room and I did that drawing in my room and I think Beach Crew picked it up and printed it on t-shirts and then I went to art school and then I came back and I saw it everywhere yeah was Pooshooter also Mambo? no Mambo was that was Richard Allen's I think you're talking about Richard Allen's um, farting dog he's a good friend of mine I had a studio with him in Sydney for a while yeah. farting dog yeah. yes yeah. and Pooch, the Pooshooter was the Pooshooter was sort of like a really yeah it's both dogs one's one spitting a nugget of shit out of its ass and the other one's spitting a musical note out That's of its right. ass. That's right. So yeah, Richard had the Richard had the the much more kind of gentrified version of mine and probably more cerebral and a better design as well. I got to say, yeah. I mean Richard's one Richard's one of the best designers in the world, I reckon. He's so good, so clever. He was great to work with. I worked with Richard for a number of years out of a studio that we had in Sydney. It's brilliant. And so were you, was he doing Mambo at that stage? No, he'd finished with that. We were doing a lot of work for a lot of a lot of television work, a lot of work for Mark Newson, who I mentioned before, like a lot of graphics for his products and stuff. So lots of yeah, work for for um, industrial designers and stuff like that. Uh, he's gone on to do some pretty incredible things. Yeah. So this is when you came back from America and you're having an identity crisis. Yeah, yes, no, no, I had an identity crisis when I 
when I went to America to art school because yeah. I didn't. Yeah, it was trying to reconcile the sur- the the surfing with the uh, art school kind of who am I type of thing. Then once I was completely ensconced in the surfing uh, in the in the art school academic type of thing, then um then yeah then I started a studio in no I went to Japan uh, straight after art school worked in an advertising agency there for a little while and then I went down to Sydney and worked with Richard in this studio that we started called Soap Studios and we did big day out posters like a lot of graphics for musical events and stuff like that we did a couple of really good big day out posters um have fun yeah it was brilliant yeah it was really good fun and we did a lot of stuff for well we did some stuff for the Foundation Cartier in Paris which was for a chair that I made an animated sequence for a chair that Mark Newson made, which was like, if you put 60 of them together, it would make a perfect geodesic sphere. It was a homage to Buckminster Fuller who invented the geoid, which is like the soccer ball sort of shape thing. It's like how you... Buckmaster created Buck, that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was his invent. That was his invention. Yeah, he made that and a bunch of other... That guy was a genius, yeah. He's, a, he's, a, he's like, he's being into quantum physics and everything like that as well, isn't he? Like- Probably. He was, uh, yeah, I mean, he was just one of these incredible super visionary genius design kind of gurus. He made that Dymaxion car. That was... Was, um, that's one of his famous things. Yeah, that's What's another one to look up on. Okay, it was. It looked like it looks like a teardrop. That car. It's sort of like a cross between. Uh, a, 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 it's sort of a cross between a sort of a some sort of a space age car and an airstream caravan. That's yeah. You'd better look at that. Look one. it up. Yeah. yeah. Di, di, am, di, I can't even say the fucking word. Dimaxion. Yeah, the Dimaxion car. Yeah, that was his thing. Yeah. But every yeah. time I see a Buckmaster Fuller quote, it's just like, holy. Yeah, 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 yeah. The guy was a genius. Yeah, an absolute genius. I can't think of any erudite sort of quotes and stuff to share with you <laughs> right now. No, that's all good. Yeah. Um, yeah, so then you were working in Sydney. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So Sydney was good, yeah. But I didn't like it that much, so I moved back to Japan. And. What, what do you like about Sydney? <laughs> uh, I didn't Pop have... Pop and pastels? <laughs> no, it's a beautiful harbour. I just don't think it's a beautiful city. Mm. There I go again. God, and now I can't go to Sydney either. China and Sydney just both. <laughs> 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 yeah. So Sydney, I just... Yeah, I got a lot of... I mean... Look, you don't have to love everything. Fuck, that's the no, beauty of it didn't, it didn't work for me and I just really missed Japan. I wanted to move back there. And I think I think Richard wanted to move to the UK. And so once... If I wasn't working with Richard, Alan from Mambo, then uh, I just... Yeah, there's no point really living there. Mm. Um, actually, I did have... I did have a... I did have another studio, like an animation studio called Toast Media, and that was with a guy called Matthew Howison, who was working at Goldman Sachs at the time. So he was in this... Yeah, he was actually working with Malcolm Turnbull. They were both like the guys at Goldman Sachs. They set up Goldman Sachs Australia. And so Matthew wanted to do an animation studio on the side, so he did that with me. Um, That was awesome, actually. We did some good projects there, so... Yeah, we did. We actually Simon Buttonshaw was up at Sydney uh, for one of our biggest projects, which was the first time that the Sydney Opera House had been uh, lit with animated projections. The first well, time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They, I mean, they projected. They'd sort of done lighting schemes before on yeah. it, but nothing like we did. Right. We, we had full-on animated sequences and stuff. That was definitely the first time that had been done. That had been done, and and. 
Because Leo Schofield, who was the head of the Sydney Festival, uh, he originally wanted Howard Arkley. The he's a well, he's dead now, but he was a, quite a famous Australian artist, and he died of a heroin overdose, I think. So Mark Newson was next in line again. Mark Newson, um, and so Mark uh, hired us to to create these animated uh, projections to yeah to light up the opera house for the opening of the Sydney Olympics and also for the Olympic Arts Festival yeah so that was Huge honor. yeah that was that was that was great it was really funny actually because I was in a I was in a there was a restaurant called the International which my friend uh, ran which was up in King's Cross and it was on the top floor of this building and you could see the opera house from there and it was a guy called the, the actual lighting technician was this lunatic called Alan Stone I think was his name um, and he was a, he's a really good right, a lighting guy he's the go-to guy with Can I just ask why you say he's a lunatic? I like that. Oh, he had, yeah, so do I. He had, um, he was the most, he was just wound so tight, that guy. <laughs> like, he was such a fucking stress case. And it's like the last, it's like, what, it's like when you get into a cab and taxi drivers are so, like, when you've got an impatient cab driver, it's like, what are you fucking doing this job for, you know? Yeah. In Hong Kong, you get that all the time. This guy was like, in such a stressful environment, you've got trucks and wires and shit blowing up and everything. And then the guy's just like, Ugh! it's the wrong dude for the job. So that's why he was insane. Yeah. You'd be like, Alan, do you reckon you could just whoa, fuck you know yeah. like, just so, walking on a razor's yeah, edge yeah fully so you always thought you were stepping on eggshells I used to hate asking him for anything but he but I had to all the time because yeah. he yeah he would he was trying to sort of push his sort of like aesthetic and he had such bad taste and then you know we had a really perfectly sort of planned uh, colour script and everything for this thing and so yeah it was like constant battle to get him to do what we wanted but anyway finally we got it all programmed into the mixing desks and stuff and it was just once we'd done that it was cool but I remember just being at this restaurant with, with Simon Buttonshaw and he was like um that's Simon was like, wow, that's that's great that you've got this opera house gig. And I was like, yeah, yeah. And I was like, check this out. And so I, Alan was always down. Alan Stein was always down in the control booth next to the opera house. And I'd, I'd my my trick was, you know, having beers up in this bar. And I'd say, hey, what colour do you want the opera house to be? And I'd get on my phone and I'd call Alan. I'd be like, can you just do this sequence for me? And it'd, and it'd be like, bling. So I'll make it orange. It'd be like orange. <laughs> It was so insane. It was you like, could have won money. Like, no, I was like, check it out. I'm God. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you should have been betting punches. I should have been. I bet it's going to... Oh, <laughs> yeah. fuck. Yeah, yeah, I should have done that, shouldn't I? Yeah. Anyway, <laughs> that was fun. Yeah, that was great. But now everyone does it. I think we fi we figured out the beam angles and all of this kind of stuff. And we actually built towers. We had to build towers at the time. Now I think they've got the lights and stuff. Just, they're just there. Yeah, yeah. And I think you can just probably chuck in a thumb drive or something now, you know. But at the time, that was insane. Like, we had oil wheels and shit that explodes, analog sort of stuff, and, you know, <laughs> and a lunatic running it. Yeah. With the, yeah, this most highly strung person in <laughs> lighting. I'm getting visions of Tropic Thunder with the dude. That's oh, on that the was explosives. so great. Danny McBride. Yeah. yeah, he's brilliant. Let's, no, let's rub Tiger Bomb on this jungle's nuts. <laughs> yeah. That was my favorite scene. Yeah. 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 yeah that was Mother so great. Nature just pissed her pants. That was such a great scene. You could not make that film. That's my favorite movie, by the way. I love it's that. So good, it's isn't so it? good. Yeah, yeah. It's my favorite film, but you couldn't <laughs> make that. Now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was so great. Now, let's go and make the best war film ever <laughs> <laughs> that was brilliant 
How about how about how about um uh what's his name Tom Cruise was like like so good. Tom, Michael Gadinsky he just looked like Michael Gadinsky didn't he like yeah big dick player. right right and at the end when he does that dance it's so fantastic yeah yeah Play everything's so that. like absurd yeah 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 no, this is a question so with your well, you know <laughs> your visual artist yeah do you see you know when you look at things like that yeah and that's as close I would say to being of you know an anime style movie because yeah, it's so yeah. out there yeah it's there's a lot of physical humor in that film that's why i love it there's a lot of comic universals and slapstick comedy so it's uh you know once if you if you if you're good at that like i think one thing you'd notice about about that compared to yeah there's 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 a lot of really cartoony kind of 1950 30s Warner Brothers style slapstick mechanics in that film. I mean, that's what I love about it. As well as, um, you know, I mean, the dialogue that's in that film is just so good. It's, it's brilliantly written. But the thing is, you couldn't make that film now. I mean, no. it's just gone. The no, world, is, the world is so woke now. Yeah. Yeah, yeah right? No, it's not never, happening. Never, but there's so, there's so many things you couldn't do. That film is <laughs> What do you mean, we people? Well, what do you Yeah. <laughs> never go full retard. <laughs> Fuck, right? You simple full Jack. Retard, man. How about full, simple Jack? But you just couldn't do that. You could not do it. Right? That's oh, I know. Fun. Yeah, it's so fucking funny yeah, and everyone yeah, knows yeah. that it's just funny. It's, it's not No, no, it's not it's not it's not mean spirited at all. It's just really, really well written, great comedy, you know. Who's and the, the characters dude? are Who's so the big dude good. on drugs? What's his name again? Oh, Jack Black. Jack Black. Yeah, he's so funny. He's just trying to get smacked the whole time, isn't he? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. He's he's really good. But um I oh, what was the other Danny McBride though was he went on to do really great stuff Eastbound and Down you know that series oh, so good so good the first season of that, that unbeatable Righteous Gemstones I think he was in as well he was good in that he was, but he's also done really good serious roles as well but his comedy is just yeah he's absolutely brilliant that guy he's so good yeah yeah, yeah I love that guy but I, I yeah I'm, I'm glad you brought up Tropic Thunder because that's I think a masterpiece <laughs> I totally agree <laughs> Nick Nolte apparently there's a there's a director's commentary version of that where because Ben still a director that didn't what he can't cry yeah 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 that's right yeah 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 so good but there, there is a director what do you he did the worst thing on earth what, you killed a hooker oh yeah no. yeah yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah but there, there was there's a director's commentary on that which um i've got to i've got to i've got to listen to because um my friend's actually uh my friend's actually doing a, a phd in the uh, on the paratrack like the director's commentary and whether it's because it's kind of been phased out right it's now everyone just watches youtube reviews of movies and stuff but the actual director's commentary where you've got the you know where you've got the it used to be on on uh, as an extra on DVDs and laser discs and stuff, right? Yeah. Apparently, there there is one on that film, and that would be amazing to listen to. Yeah, yeah. Make a note of that, What's it, and the- send me your notes after this because I want to watch that too. It yeah, it's 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 you know like the. If you watch um, the first J.J. Abrams Star Trek film, there's there's a, there's a director's commentary of him um, talking about that. And, yeah, that guy's a million miles an hour. My God. He's just like, yeah, oh, right on, yeah. Oh, the logo. The logo was some kid I found on the internet. Yeah. Yeah, it's amazing. Cuts nothing. Yeah. Like, just shit like that. That you just think like, wow. Stream of consciousness. Yeah, just but you just get this amazing insight into, like, the intentions of the director and, you know, and it's just a window into it's it's like 
it's like three years of film school in an hour you know like this is why i love podcasts and listening yeah. to interesting yeah, like yeah. i listen to a lot of widely ones and you yep. get just get to climb into someone's head yeah and just see that they're just a human yeah having human experiences and you get to sort of get a peek at their yep. str- strengths and weaknesses and yeah. It's yeah, yeah, yeah. It's invaluable. Yeah, it is. It's it's awesome, and that there's you know sometimes you. I mean, I look at a lot of the you know, God, a lot of those directors. I just look at as gods, you know. And so getting this look, a lot of directors don't like to do paratracks either and talk about their own work. I don't think David Lynch does them. I don't think that Steven Spielberg's on a few, but he then went on to say, you know, there it's a mistake to do them because it's it's this whole sort of intentionalist argument, like people should, and it's it's a postmodern argument as well. Like people, should, it, it, the 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 meaning of something is at the point of reception with the audience right there's this, there's all of this kind of scholarship that exists around that but irrespective of that i think they're brilliant because i love the i mean i i i just love to know why certain creative decisions were you know if they want to share that stuff that's a great opportunity to as you say get get you know correctly pointed out get inside of their heads and know why they made these decisions you know why does that look like that or what's you know it's really super fascinating stuff who who um who directed magnolia and uh, that was david lynch wasn't it no mm. wasn't it um, and he also just did Licorice Pizza. Was it not um, Jim Jarmusch? No. no. I'm just going to open up IMDb here. Go on. Yeah, let's have a look. Um, anyway, I listened to a podcast with him the other day. On There's one called Smartless. I don't know if you know it. I'll send it to you. Yeah. It's, who do, I'm, now, now I'm really... Um, yeah, Magnolia. That was was that was that with the one with Tom Cruise in the beginning yeah. talking about yeah that was yeah. hilarious That's, yeah that was really funny Magnolia with the flat, raining frogs and all that stuff yeah yeah um, anyway I listened to uh, yeah. him chat the other day and it was just fascinating to just listen to him simplify what other people will you know go into his films and yep. make complex and he was like well no it's just like you know. Yeah, like like over processing. Okay, yeah. here we go. Magnolia. Oh, Paul Thomas Anderson. Exactly. Okay. Yeah, yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, but it, it, you know, I think that there's. It's good that all of that academic discussion exists around uh you know around that as well as a sort of secondary text. I, you know, I mean, it's good that that stuff exists, and it doesn't. It's not. A lot of the time, it's not kind of second guessing what the director's intentions were. It's it's like you know c- comparing and contrasting to other films in that genre, you know, and or you know use using some of that academic stuff as a form of analysis. I think can be really interesting too, even if it's even if it even if it has nothing to do with what the director's intentions were, it can often, it you know, it can often be comparing and contrasting interesting things and making correlations with other stuff. And I find that really fascinating and interesting too. Mm. So, but yeah, I, I don't, I don't like super verbose kind of critiques of stuff where it's just really pretentious. <laughs> There's too much of that in the well, world. I like, you must I like see a lot cons- of that in the art world. Yeah, I do, yeah. But I like concision 
and I yeah it's got to be succinct and concise for me to be I'm not going to read paragraphs of like really dense kind of crap about you know yeah that's I, I hate that I think it's really pretentious and it's just unnecessary and especially with all the stuff that's out there you just want to get to the fucking point well unfortunately in the art world that's the turn off for me yeah not the good examples of art criticism though I mean the, the good examples True. of that sort of stuff is just amazing and fantastic and I love you know yeah, yeah I know exactly what you mean and I can't stand that either one of my favourite um, interviews uh, about abstract expressionist art was some uh, someone asked my father when he moved back to Melbourne why his uh, paintings had more orange and brown kind of brownie and orangey sort of uh, color palette to a lot of the stuff he was painting at the time and my father's reply was well uh, I'm following the Hawthorne football team at the moment so I thought that was great because it was like yeah it was like a super sort of you know intellectual kind of art critic guy he's actually a really nice guy the guy that there's a guy called Gary Catalano, but um, yeah, but my dad hates that kind of uh, verbose kind of, uh, you know, analysis around, it's unnecessary really um, a lot of the time analysis of, of, of art. And then quite often, uh, I mean, especially with my, my, my dad's paintings, it's, you know, they're just, I think they're really beautiful things in their own right and don't necessarily require, uh, a, you know, a commentary or an L to Z size bloody manifesto to go with them <laughs> you know i just think that they're beautiful looking things and they don't necessarily need a sort of verbose description no well it will just to dumb it down it's just him expressing himself through a certain medium and then you having a uh how does that affect you or touch you or not touch you mm. You know, yeah, yeah, you yeah. can look at art and go, not getting anything, or yeah, some yeah. of it's that's, like, I'm going to cry. Like, that's right. That's that. Yeah, and that's one way of that's one form of analysis, and that's one way of looking at it, and making sense of it, and yeah, from your own point of view, absolutely. I think that's the best way to. I think that's the best form of film criticism too. Is like, you know, how does it make you feel? You know, what do you respond to? And I find that really interesting. Yeah. That said, I also really enjoy a good rant if it's if it's funny and well written, and you you know what i mean yeah, so yeah 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 that can Completely. be really fun too hunter s thompson was good at that yeah yeah <laughs> <laughs> but yeah. you know i suppose because like and then if you study that medium or you are in that medium yeah. then you are going to nitpick onto that mm -hmm. i suppose more yeah look it's it's yeah it's, it, it, yeah yeah look it's just good to have it all really and the stuff that i gravitate towards anyway it's um it's the sort of strunk and white emit needless words um you know concision succinct that's what works for me i can't stand that other sort of verbose crap i really can't impenetrable art speak Blah. yeah <laughs> <laughs> okay good yeah so then we glad, glad we got that out of yeah the way. okay great now so you leave sydney and go back to japan yep. and do you go back without a job and wondering what you're going to do or uh, ooh, um I think I went back without a job or any idea of what I wanted to do. Yes. No, I knew what I wanted to do, but I, I yeah. At that or point, how to penetrate that. Yeah. Yeah. That was really hard to sort of, to, yeah, to figure out where I fit into that. I knew I wanted to live there. <clears throat> um, how did I do that? I think I, 
let me see. I yeah, it took me a while to get on my feet there and and get into my groove. But I, I I've got a really I've got a couple of really good friends there. Um, there's a guy called Tero Kurosaki who is uh, a, a kind of an entrepreneurial lunatic, uh, very good friend of mine. Um, he he actually introduced Philip Stark to, to Japan. I think he was the first person to sort of bring him out to Japan and, and all these other designers too. He had a thing called Sputnik, which was like, he had a thing called Ide, which was a, a, a kind of a, a, a kind of a, a furniture trading and manufacturing uh, company. And then he had a thing called Sputnik, which I helped out with, uh, which was all kinds of stuff. It was an incredible whole earth catalog magazine thing. It was like up and coming designers, nascent, talent small studios and stuff and 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 making original items with 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 these designers from all over the world right so i met so many amazing people through through that uh through that company um and and he also ran a thing called tokyo designers block so i was doing a lot of uh graphics for uh these events and for a lot of his products so i was kind of i mean i had a I was actually employed by him for a while as a sort of, you know, sort of creative director role for graphic design and stuff like that. I still do a lot of work for him. I, I speak to him a lot. He's still one of my best mates. Um, and he just does the maddest, most wacky projects. Like he, just as an example, um, he, he did, he just recently, he did a, an elevator music record label like vinyl. Um, <laughs> and he had the machine shipped out from Germany and he's like pressing vinyl of like, you know, Percy Faith kind of elevator music, right? Just <laughs> I listen to some. It's like ding, 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 like just really. What the fuck would you want to listen to that for on a on vinyl? <laughs> on vinyl. Yeah. Brilliant, right? So, but anyway, yeah, he does that sort of stuff. He, uh, yeah, and then other architectural projects and hotels and yeah. I one of the first gigs I did for him was. He goes to the Milan Furniture Fair and Milan Design Fair every year, right? And there was one year he's like, yeah, can you make me some animated sequences of some cockroaches? And I was like, what, what's... There's always really great briefs with this guy. It's like, what, what do you need them to do? And he's like, I don't know, just like... Uh maybe having sex and I was like alright and so I did these projections of these cockroaches in all these different sexual positions and we projected it on the side of this building in the middle of Milan like these huge cockroaches in really yeah I'll have to send you an I'd image I'd love to of see that. this yeah, yeah yeah it's pretty insane yeah that actually got a lot of attention um, and the cockroaches really fucking all those positions or yeah 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 but they were really but cute anime looking cockroaches it. they have different sexual positions cockroaches yeah yeah, yeah. there was 60, like humans yes there was 69 so was missionary there was doggy style it was everything yeah, yeah. you yeah, it was weren't like just projecting human moves onto cockroaches they actually no no that's this. what I was doing it was like human move there was like anthropomorphized sexual cockroach sex yeah <laughs> so it was like you know so but it was cute it was like if Hello Kitty was a porno right <laughs> yeah. that's what it was I'm that sure was it a, is yeah. <laughs> yeah yeah I mean it, it would be there'd be some yeah like the internet is the mouth of Satan after all but but like yeah so it was it, it, but that's what it was It was, but it was the cutest cockroaches it was meant to look like you know anime characters with the big eyes and all that sort of stuff yeah yeah, yeah so yeah. they were pretty it was pretty funny though because yeah, everyone was wondering what that was about it got a lot of attention yeah. what was that about nothing it was yeah, just good. cockroaches rooting yep. that's yep. what it was about and that's what's so great about Terra and it, you know it, it was it was within his his um, pavilion area thing right but but you know 
the other design objects that he made for that show, there was a guy called um, Jersey Seymour who made a oh god, what was the car? It was a, it was a it was a it was like a Tirana, but it, it was like a urethane Tirana. No, what was it? It was a, what was a car? It was a great. It was a, anyway. It was a, it was you could sit in it and everything, but it was just it was injection molded car. Was, yeah. Urethane. Yeah, it was like a urethane. Is that car. like skatey wheels? Yeah, yes. Polyurethane? Yeah, 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 like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hard rubber. Yeah. No, it wasn't hard rubber, but it was a urethane that no, it was more like surfboard blanks. That's urethane too, isn't it? Was uh, that foam? Polyurethane. Polyurethane, yeah. That's what it was, right? Mm. Mm. That guy made such great stuff. So that was a good example of Sputnik stuff, right? Um and uh, some of the other stuff that Yurtsy made was great too. He made remote control coffee tables that you could drive around to wherever you wanted to. So they were on like Tamiya cars. That was pretty cool. And then he made this thing called Scum City, which was uh, he had a cannon that just fired that stuff and he'd scum things with his cannon. It was brilliant. Yeah. So that's some of the stuff that Tero was doing that, yeah, it's so brilliant. Um, See, basically, if he thinks of it, he can just somehow bring he, life to that yeah 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 and he's and he's kind of got this Midas touch with making really cool environments and he just puts he Frankenstein's teams together to do incredible things and so that's that's who I was working with when I first went to Japan uh, and yeah and he's also the guy that I made that how's the space you get to live and work in in Tokyo, just the space, you know, like oh, these yeah, projects. Oh yeah, it's pretty. Yeah, it's kind of there's. Yeah, it's fairly uh, epic. It's epic, but it's yeah, it's pretty um, eclectic. Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah. Other other. What was the other project I was gonna? Oh, that's right, because he was also the guy that. Uh, well, we did we did the the sort of chronology of the surfboard exhibition in um, in this massive gallery in the middle of Tokyo. And then that travelled to the to the London Design Museum. So that was the history of the model, modern surfboard. And at the end of that, we were suggesting that this is where the nickel surfboard comes back into the story, uh, because that was meant to be like what the future might be. You know, I mean, I doubt it's going to be that silver but, surfer. Yeah, exactly right. So so we started with you know we had we had one of Greeno's spoons. We had like all this stuff, and it's like, it was insane. I mean, the gallery just. It really looked amazing. It was, the, it was the first time that's been done in Japan for sure. But then that traveled to the Design Museum in London after that. And Mark Phipps was kind enough to, um, to, to, to shape a board in this sort of glass shaping bay that was on the River Thames right opposite the front of the gallery. So Mark went and did that. And yeah, that was great. Um, I don't know how much attention that got within the surfing industry, but it went down pretty well in terms of the cultural institution sort of circles and stuff. Um, yeah, that was fun. Yeah, so that was yeah. When was that? Christ, that was probably like twelve years ago now. Yeah, I've got photos of that if you want to check it out. Yeah, yeah I'd love to. Yeah. And so now, <laughs> yeah, you're. I'm not even going to try and say this position that I pulled up. Yeah, that was your title. Yeah, do you want to have a crack? Yeah, yeah. Senior director. Yeah. Of Asia Pacific Animation Development. Development. Turner, yeah, International Asia Pacific, yeah, 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 yeah. So that's so that's what I was doing until about two years ago, and then I started Custom Nuts, which is my new company. Which because uh, I was doing that for about fifteen years, and uh, that was yeah. So basically, what that massive title is is <laughs> is regional APAC regional 
director of senior director of original um, development and production. So that, that basically that's just a fancy title for developing original animated TV series and and or feature length productions. So you, are you sourcing? Um uh, artists who have got great ideas and helping them bring them to fruition for TV so, or are you on the tools yourself? I'm both, yeah, both. Uh, but but mainly, I'm mainly involved in the, in the you know, the conceptual stage in terms of, uh, yeah, the, the, the initial sort of uh, concept and proof of concept. Um, and then like, you know, the, the drawing and stuff like that. I mean, it's very, very initial sort of stuff that I'll get involved with there and then it goes out. So, I mean, there's just too many projects on my slate for me to get two hands on. Um, and there's a lot of people that frankly draw a lot better than I do. So um, I'll Frankenstein the right team together, depending on the genre and medium. <clears throat> um, and just other- real producer. Yeah, like an executive producer slash, uh, it is still a creative role though because I'm pretty involved with the writing mm. as well, right? So, yeah, uh, and, and look, producers are very rubbery term. Like, yeah. there's a lot of producers that don't get involved in, yeah, as you know, because you do your films and stuff, right? So, so I'd be more like a creative producer, I think. I'm not a, a line producer. I can't no. even bounce. Yeah, 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 yeah. Right, I'm not a line producer either. Right? Yeah, that's the worst job on earth. But some people are really good at They're it. They're very some, good at and it, and some people love it, right? Yeah. And that's the other thing about this business. You've got to have. You want to be. Uh, you want to get the best person in all of those critical positions so that you can get out of the way and get you know let them yeah. do their job right so whole big creative pie that's right yeah so yeah but for in animation it's always a collaborative experience that's what i love about it because i spent so much time in graphic design where it's just you know you're just doing your own thing in your autonomous bubble i really like to work in teams i like the the fact that with animation there's a, a musician there's there's the dialogue uh, you know, there's the voice artists. Yeah. There's there's the line producer. You know, there's the uh, there's the heavy lifting part of it, which is like people that are just drawing themselves into a coma, and they're really good at that. And then and then for all of that, depending on the genre, it's a whole different team. You know, so can I ask a question? Yeah. It's a really stupid. It's not a stupid question because yeah, it could be a stupid question. I don't know. Yeah, none none of it. the questions have been stupid so far. All right. Well, here's only the first. one about the poo shooter. <laughs> 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 Do you know only reason is oh, I'm not even going to say. It. All right, so yeah, you look at a cartoon mm. and it's liquid. It's moving like a movie, right? But it's drawing. Yeah, I'm not sure how that process happens. Yeah, okay. Because it, like you look at you go from a flick book, mm-hmm. and I'm I'm assuming. It's like a flip the big, book. The biggest difference between live action film and animation is like a, a camera captures time, animation creates time, right? So nothing exists. My head hurts. <laughs> nothing exists in animation. This is the other thing I love about it, right? It's nothing's there beforehand. It's like a, it's a tabula rasa. It's like a, it's a blank, it's a blank piece of paper, right? Yeah. With animation. Yeah. And all of that stuff's got to be created. I mean, it can, it, it's inspired by stuff that's, you know, out the window or, you know, in real time and space. But, but there's not, it's, it's, that's what's so incredible about it. That's what I love about it, you know. It's, it really comes from nothing. And, you ca- and you're creating time with animation. You're not capturing time as it's playing out. Yeah. I mean, certain types of animation, if they're hybrid, can. But if you're talking about like cell animation, hand-drawn, traditional stuff. So, but like, sorry, I'm still haven't got my uh, question fully answered yeah, yeah, yet. Yeah. You've got someone walking to the milk bar mm-hmm. to buy a salad roll mm. that in turn turns around and eats them. Yeah. And so that in my mind, I can see it playing out on the telly. Yeah. 
but what what from being in the drawing process yeah and you're creating that time and that thing to putting it onto the screen yeah what makes it so smooth oh okay well you're talking about a specific if you're talking about really fluid smooth animation because there's a lot of different ways that 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 salad sandwich can come back and eat that guy depending on okay depending on the genre the tone Got it. The, okay, the, yeah. the 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 formal aesthetics could, you know it could be completely different depending on who's doing it and how it's being made so but if you're talking about like 1920s really fluid smooth traditionally hand-drawn stuff that's just going to be a shitload of drawings between coming out of the shop and the sandwich eating him, right? Um, if that was in anime, for, for example, like in the 1970s, where they were really trying to save money and keep the movement, because the more drawings, the more expensive it's going to be, is a basic rule of thumb, right? So the more so fluid, it, yeah. the more expensive. So, sorry, so then let's just say this flick book, yeah. this, this pad is, and it's how many pages front to back, 200, yeah. and each one is the... The, the scene is moving by a millimeter. And oh, then it depends on how fast you want it to move. And that comes, yeah, that's the other thing. But is that the, the general? Yeah, 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 generally, yeah. Yeah, that's that's it. So, you know, you're talking about 24 frames a second, a lot of animations on twos. So, two, so, so one drawing for two exposures. If you really want to save money, you could do one drawing for four exposures. You know, in anime, you see that a lot. But if you're talking about Miyazaki, Studio Ghibli uh, stuff, or you're talking about Disney sort of stuff, you'll, you'll see a lot of like one drawing per exposure, you know? I see now. Sorry, yeah. now I've got South Park in my head. And South Park could have been animated in PowerPoint. You know, it's like it's not really. No, it's super. It's, it's all about dialogue, and it's all about really topical sort of stuff that's even really time stamped. You know, yeah. and yeah, uh, South Park's South Park's actually made in 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 Maya, which is a CGI application, right? Um, but that's just the quickest way that they can do it. So everything would just be 100% illuminated, so it looks really flat, and they can just move those shapes around. They can make it super quick because a lot of it does relate to really recent sort of events and stuff right yeah um but but yeah that's one way of doing it the other way of doing it is like at the moment i'm making a traditional cell anime uh animated special for a show called ball masters for adult swim uh in their but they're a company from atlanta and and we're making that with a japanese studio and that's like traditionally cell animated so at the end of that process we're going to have like I don't know a half a hectare of rainforest in boxes of cells. You know, um, that's that, and that's that's because the animators at this one company we're working with, um, they like to draw on paper. The animators like to draw on paper, even though the Japanese invent the tablets and the stuff too, and the software and everything. A lot of the animators in Japan still prefer to do it traditionally. Um, so yeah, so that's that's one way of doing. It. But like I said, it's like uh, if 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 you're you know if it's slapstick comedy. Compared to action adventure, for example, you'll find a lot of that suits CGI, suits shit blowing up and explosions and amazing special effects. Comedy doesn't need that. Comedy needs really witty, great writing. Oh, yeah. Needs needs really fantastically resolved, complex characters and funny shit going on. You know, uh, if it's slapstick comedy, maybe there's no dialogue. Maybe it's just physical humor and slapstick mechanics. And then you're talking about really beautiful timing and maybe fluid animation. But if you're talking about South Park, you know, that's brilliantly written and that's all about dialogue, you yeah. know. So it's just, yeah, it's horses for courses yeah, and, yeah. and it's mediums for courses, you know. It's like, it's, yeah. So that's stuff that needs to be seriously considered before 
you just dive in and chuck something through your studio because you happen to be doing stuff a certain way in your studio doesn't mean that you should be animating it with that equipment that you've just got handy, you know, right? I mean... I mean, Pirates of the Caribbean, they wanted to actually animate that before... Uh, in fact, I th- yeah, they want, that was going to be an animated... But imagine Pirates of the Caribbean without Johnny Depp in live action. It just would have sucked, <laughs> right? Yeah. I mean, it's... Yeah, it did kind of suck, but Johnny Depp was great. Uh, but yeah, anyway, those are the, that, that's... Yeah. No, that's great. That was an epic answer. <laughs> yeah, it was epic. I just went on a bit, didn't yeah. I? No, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> Biblical. <laughs> So yeah. your new company is it, what did you say? Custom nuts. Custom nuts. Custom nuts. Got some, yeah. some custom nuts. Yeah, custom nuts is all about. Uh, I mean, yeah. WW. No, <laughs> custom nuts is uh, is is about a lot of things that really frustrated me when I was working in a corporate environment. I was saddled with jobs in this corporate environment. I couldn't choose what I sort of, quite often it'd be like, you got to do this. And there was, there's not a whole lot of uh, your own personal uh, preferences and, 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 yeah, yeah. and proclivities and stuff that you could kind of let leak into your work. So now I'm actually picking and choosing very carefully what I do. And um, I, I've always loved slapstick. Surfing lends very well to slapstick. Anything where there's a vehicle and sharks and all that sort of stuff is great for slapstick, you know. Everyone's got a dog, you know. Dogs are good in slap, vaudevillian slapstick comedy, right? It's all physical humor. It's people... It's, 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 it's yeah, people, pratfalls. It's uh, all that sort of stuff. And so... So this one that you put me on to... That was the one that I saw here. It's on Netflix, I'm pretty sure. Was that part of Custom Nuts? No, no, no. You mean uh, Monster Beach? Yeah. No, no. Monster Beach was with... Uh, that was with Warner Media. Um, that was for Cartoon Network. But, you know, Custom Nuts is about what would happen... This is the this is my sort of studio mission is like, what would happen if you took uh, 1920s fluid, stretchy, slapstick, vaudevillian kind of humour, physical humour with hardly any dialogue and you kind of you you collided that with with action adventure sort of shown in anime what would that what would what kind of stories and what kind of uh, methods and techniques so is it three would, stooges would be required to 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 pull that off and 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 make that a really entertaining show to watch as a kid and perhaps as an adult who liked you know animation comic books so so yeah three stooges meets or or, 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 or 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 you know roadrunner meets uh akira or something you know uh something like that or yeah uh yeah three stooges is is a Three Stooges is a good example of the kind of chaos and mayhem in terms of the slapstick side. And that's also really... That kind of humour is really popular in Japan, by the way. There's a, there's not a... there's it, It's not really animated very well in Japan, that kind of stuff. It's not really animated at all. It's all those really reductive methods and techniques I was talking about before that is the style of most anime. Uh, but you see a lot of that kind of Three Stooges humor in TV commercials, in live action type of game shows, right? Like all that reality TV in Japan where people are, yeah, getting, you know, getting slung shot across Tokyo Harbor in a, in a, in a diaper or something in a giant Shanghai, bang, you know, all that beat Takeshi kind of stuff. So, so they have an appreciation for it, but they don't animate that mm. stuff very often. Um, 
So yeah, what would happen if you combine slapstick physical humor with uh, better examples of contemporary anime? That's what my company is 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 really interested in trying to solve that conundrum right now. Uh, but we also do a lot of a lot of other sort of hybrid stuff between you know Japanese anime and 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 American. Uh, and American methods and techniques of m- more fluid st- types of animation. And, and it, it does seem like there's a market for that. And it's, it does seem like there's a lot of people interested in seeing what that you know looks like, what kind of stories and what sort of narratives can, could suit such a narrative and that, uh, such, a, such a hybrid. So that's, that's what we're, yeah, it's, it's, we're doing a lot of research right now into, into, into those kind of hybrid models yeah trying to i mean you know maybe we'll invent a new genre of of slapstick anime hybridity that'd be pretty cool you know so that, you know that's what we're trying to do um and uh yeah i mean i've only been i've only been going with custom nuts for about two and a half years now uh but i've got a slate of about five projects in development and there's one that's in production right now yeah awesome yeah yeah so that's fucking pretty good considering the last two years that we've had uh yeah i know what you're gonna say with covid and everything just but animation you have to remember is really quite covid proof because you can do it remotely you don't have to show up at a studio you don't have to like it's really yeah it's pretty robust it, it, well, it's just you, you don't. Yeah it, yeah, it doesn't. I mean, the anime industry's gone ballistic during COVID. What the hell was that? Was that a bird? <laughs> that was a pterodactyl. Amazing. <laughs> wow, that's so the cool. Cockies, man. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, so custom nuts. It's all. I mean, yeah. It's all. It's all on the. A lot of it's on the website. Um. Uh. But yeah, we'll, we'll look. We'll see where we'll see where that leads us. Uh. But so far, so good. And it yeah. is awesome. Yeah. I had a question in there yeah. and it's completely fucking gone from me. Yeah. Um. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you did. Yeah. You did. I'm good at that. Just kind of like. Just, <laughs> yeah. I was like, oh, wait, wait. Yeah. Um, and I wish I could remember what it was, but it doesn't really matter. Um, yeah. One thing I do really want to. Uh, one thing I am doing actually with a lot of these projects is is um, crewing up with a lot of people from Melbourne. There's some great art schools in Melbourne. I do a lot of uh, lectures at, uh, I have done a lot of ex- lectures at, uh, you know, Melbourne Uni and, and um, RMIT, I think I did a couple. And, and we did one for Film Victoria at the State Library a couple of years ago about, uh, they kind of, they're, 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 I mean, it's like how to put together the perfect, pitch document for an animated series or for you know an animated whatever format or genre so we've done a few of those and met some really incredibly talented uh kids and fresh graduates as well as people with established studios so there's an amazing pool of talent in australia and i I plan on on um on recruiting and crewing up with a lot of people from around here so um, that's the plan too. So, so, so yeah, like a lot of pre-production happening in Australia and then perhaps um, animation studios in Japan is the model that I'm really interested in pursuing right now. Yeah. Um, and so you're going back, when are you going back? Tonight or tomorrow? I'm going back tomorrow, yeah. Had my, had my PCR test and it came back negative so I wouldn't have been able to get in the plane otherwise. I'm kind of freaking out about that. Yeah. 
and my family has COVID right now. Like my kids and my wife have it. In Japan? Yeah. Fuck. So I don't think my wife can cook at the moment. I've got to get back basically. Yeah. So I'm going to have to buy a space suit in a way. <laughs> are they, they feel fine? What are they, what they got good symptoms? My, my older daughter's got proper symptoms, but she's yeah. not, she's not, I mean, they've been vaxxed and stuff, so she's not going on a respirator or anything like that. They'll be fine. It's just a, yeah, they need some help with cooking and stuff, you know? So yeah, I've got to get back. Plus there was a massive earthquake the day after I got here, right? There was like a, a, a week or so ago. Yeah. I, yeah. I saw a headline and then it's gone again. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, excuse me. <laughs> We're just getting really hammered here. No, it's mineral water, but, but no, every time I leave Japan, it's like a natural disaster. And, and, but this time there was like the COVID thing as well. It's just like, next time I leave, there's probably going to be like some kind of bloody that ca- underwater ca- canyon with, yeah, the with, with a massive kaiju coming out of it, eating Tokyo. It's like, sorry, <laughs> I'll be right back. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So yeah. Well, so let's, I'm going to say thank you so much. Of course. Um, Anytime. Yeah. I was super amped when I saw that you posted that photo of a wing. I was like, holy fuck, he's leaving Japan. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Finally. Yeah. yeah, finally. Let's do this again. This, this is really good fun. Yeah. Can we? It. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Yeah. Brilliant. Thanks. Well, thanks for your interest. Oh, no. My pleasure. Yeah, yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Well, there you have it. There was my chat with none other than Silas Hickey. Silas, thank you so much for coming over. I really appreciate it, and I hope things are well back home in Japan. Um, to everybody else, thank you so much for lending me your ears. Um, I hope this finds you all well and smiling, and um, and you enjoyed our chat because I really enjoyed talking to Silas. I just love it when I'm talking to somebody, and I just don't know what's going to come out of their mouth next. Um, and it's, it's super refreshing. Silas is uh, one of a kind, and um, anyway, I hope you're well out there in the world. And thanks for tuning in. Until next time, adios. Bye.